Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it's I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hivites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. 
Well, do come with me into Exodus chapter 3 this morning as we think about this passage. And as we are making our way into uh, Exodus, remember we're thinking about it as God's picture book for salvation. We find everything here in Exodus that we will see displayed for us in the gospel. And week after week, we'll be able to layer that up one after the other. And we'll be able to see the, the lines that run from Exodus all the way into the New Testament and into the gospel. So what we have in Exodus is a, is a forerunner, a foreshadow of what, of what will come in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Exodus chapter 3 this morning, here's the question, who is our God? Who is our God? Answering that question could turn a little bit into like a, a game of guess who. It can all be a little bit cloudy for us. And everyone seems to be really good at creating their own version, as it were, of who God is. We say things like this, I, I, well, I think he's like this. I just don't think God would do that. I, I don't know if he really would be like that. I would like to think of him more like this. And so what we're doing in those moments, we're constructing our view of God, of who we think he is. And ever since we have been made in God's image, we have never ceased to flip that around. So God made us in his image, but then what do we try to do? We try to make a God in our image. We try to impose upon God the things that we think he will be like, the characteristics that we would like to see in him. And so this question is difficult. Who is our God? And if we pick up where we left off last week, and we're thinking about who our God is, and last week we're saying, well, if this is what God is like, then we got to be willing to lay down our lives for Him. we got to be willing to live for Him in every circumstance, in every good circumstance, and in every bad circumstance, in every trial, and in every tribulation, we got to be willing to live for Him. But if we're going to be willing to live for Him, then we must know what He is like. We have to know what He's like. So Exodus 2, how did it finish? Well, it finished with God hearing, God remembering His covenant, God saw and God knew. And the question we have then in Exodus chapter 3 is, okay, God, you've heard, you know, you've remembered, but what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? You see, to hear and to see and to remember, that's okay, but what are you actually going to do for us? So we're going to see three things, and the first this morning is this. God responds by coming to His people. God responds by coming to His people. God comes to His people. It, it's always better whenever someone's with us, isn't it? In the good times, the good times are made better whenever somebody's there with us, and in the bad times, they're a little easier whenever someone is with us. We do it all the time, don't we? Would you want to go to the football match? Okay, we'll go to the football match. And then uh, one by one, your friends pull out and someone says, are you going to the football? No, they're all not going, so I'm not going to go. We don't like to do things alone. You know, my friends aren't going to the cinema, so very few of us ever embark on going to the cinema alone. We like to go places with one another. And whenever it comes to the Lord, what do we need to know? Well, one of the greatest truths of Scripture is this, that God is with His people. He's a God who is present with His people. You see, the cry of His people goes up, the Lord hears, and He responds by coming down. 
That's what we have right here at the beginning of Exodus chapter 3. Moses, who was once the prince boy, is now the shepherd, and he's out at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, which we'll later know it as. And what happens, verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. It had been 400 years, 400 long years in Egypt, and the light of the knowledge of God, of the true and living God, was growing dim, and the little lamp that was burning was starting to flicker, and the people felt alone. They felt abandoned and isolated. And Moses, who perhaps thought that he would once liberate his people, he had to flee because of the mess that he had made in Exodus 2. He had to get a new life, a new identity. But then the Lord appears. He would not leave his people without a witness. He would not leave them isolated, alone in Egypt, under the heavy hand of an oppressor. Instead, he comes, and the Lord appears. Those words should, should burst open our eyes. They, they should make our hearts leap whenever we read them, that the Lord appeared to Moses, the Lord of all this earth. He meets with Moses in a burning bush. And yet, as the bush is burned, or this fire that is in the bush is burning, the bush is not consumed. It's pretty much the logo of every Presbyterian church in the world. This, and we'll explore it more for why. But here the, the Lord appears, and He doesn't even need a fuel to exist. The, the bush, it is not harmed by the Lord's presence. Instead, He exists in and of Himself. The Lord was before Him like a fire. The Lord existed in and of Himself. This Lord simply was. Now, you might ask, what is going on in verse 2? Who is this angel of the Lord? Well, John Calvin writes this. He says, let us inquire about this. Who was the angel? He said, the ancient teachers of the church have rightly understood it to be the eternal Son of God in respect to His office as mediator. What do we have here in Exodus chapter 3? Well, we have an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son sent down to speak and to meet with God's chosen people as God's chosen representative. And it's, it's such a, an amazing scene that we have. What happens? Moses, verse 3, thinks, I'll go over and I'll see this strange sight. But when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, what did he say? Verse 5, do not come any closer Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. You see, a way had not yet been opened up for man and God to be restored in their relationship. He could only come so close and no further. That great work of Christ that we would experience in the temple where the, the curtain would be torn in two, and access between God and man granted once again in a relationship restored that had not yet happened. And so to the holy God, Moses had to keep his distance. Do not come any further. And then verse 6, the Lord speaks, and He says, I am the God of your father and the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, 
and the God of Jacob. This is the Lord of the covenant, the promise-making and the promise-keeping God. And what does Moses do? His instant reflex is to do what? Is to hide his face. He, He takes his face away from God. He hid his face because he was afraid to look at God, to see his holiness face to face. He knew that he was not worthy to look upon the holiness of the Lord. And then the Lord responds in verse 7, I have seen the affliction. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them to bring them out of the land to a good and to a broad land, a land flowing with milk and with honey. Can you you imagine it? 400 years have passed. Moses, who who thought he was prepared to lead the people into freedom, he's been now 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years being uh, the tender of sheep, and now the Lord speaks, I have heard. I've heard their cry. I know their suffering. I have come down. I will fulfill my promise. From last week, Genesis chapter 15. Do you remember that key text? Genesis 15 and verse 13. God says, know for certain to Abraham that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. God had not left His people. God had not forgotten His people, and God had been active the whole time in their salvation. He had told them that this was going to happen, and for them not to lose faith, for them not to lose heart. And for us, it's, it's something that we wrestle with regularly, isn't it, as Christian people? Is the Lord present with me? Is He actually with me? Has He left me as I, as I walk through the, the most difficult paths in life, as I walk into, into wilderness times, as it were, in my life? Is the Lord there in my challenges, in my difficulties, in my suffering? Is He there? Well, what do we see about the truth about our God time and time again? He's the God who is present. As Adam and Eve fall into sin in the garden, what happens instantly? God shows up and He is present with His children. He's present with Abraham through the various twists and turns of His road. He's with Isaac and with Jacob. And that's why He says to Moses, I am the Lord, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if we were to to hit the pause button here in Exodus and we were to scroll all the way forward through, through the history of God's people, what do we see time and time again that He is there, He is there, He is there? And then we have Emmanuel, God with us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the promise of the Holy Spirit this promise that He will be with us, maximized on the day of Pentecost as Jesus would send the Holy Spirit to come and to live within every one of His believers, every one of His children, and the Holy Spirit would be given irrevocably. That means that He cannot be taken away from us as we are called and saved and justified. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. 
And so what do we need to know? We need to know today that this God, the God that appears in Exodus chapter 3, is the same God that appears through the Lord Jesus Christ and is the same God that dwells within us today through the power of the Holy Spirit. With Christ, the I will be with you became I will be among you. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, it became I will live within you. God with His people, God with you, God with me in the midst of all that is going on, God with us. And this is a prayer, I think, that has lost largely its weight. What's one of the best things that we could pray for God's people? That God would presence Himself amongst them, that they would know God's presence in a real and in a tangible way. We often say it, but do we realize the, the weight of it? God with His people. And so the psalmist writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You're with me. God with His people. Secondly, what do we see about God? He's, he's with His people here, but He's also doing something else. He's providing a rescuer, isn't He? He's providing a rescuer through Moses. He will not leave His people. Instead, He's going to raise up a rescuer. And so the Lord says, look at verse 10, the Lord says, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites out of Egypt. Verse 11, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Now, Moses has just met with the maker of heaven and earth. He has met with the Lord, and he's not just making up lame excuses. There's, there's something deeper in it, isn't there? This isn't just a, a false humility. It's a, it's a real fear. Don't, don't send me back they might kill me. Oh, Lord, who am I? Uh, there, there, there should be someone else that can go. Don't, don't make me go. Don't push me back into Egypt. I don't want to go there. Send anyone else. And, and he's trying to think of any excuse that he can. Lord, who am I? But look at the Lord's response to underscore what he has just demonstrated through his presence. He says in verse 12, but I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God is telling him that, that not only am I going to send you, but I, I promise that, that you will be able to lead the people out with me. And how will you know that? I am going to bring you back to this very point, to this very place, and you will worship with me. So he's present, and he's given him a promise to go, a promise that he will fulfill. But, but this great knowledge, this great knowledge that I will be with you, this great steadying truth, it, it doesn't seem to be a, enough for Moses. Moses quivers, and he shakes, and, and he doesn't want to go. To have the Lord with you is to have all that you need. And so Moses asked the question, who am I and, and how will I know? And, and all of the, the back and forward with God. 
And what does God say to him? He doesn't respond with a, a pep talk whenever he asks him, who, who, who will I say that sent me? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't say to him, don't you worry, you, you'll be okay. He, here's this, here's that. You've got all that you need in yourself. The Lord comes with this statement. And he says, I am, verse 14, who I am. What is your name, Moses says, verse 13. I am who I am. The great I am. What had the Lord done? The Lord had called someone who had made a mess, who was broken, and He gave them a work to do. I will be with your people. This is my work. I will be with you. These are my people, and I will lead you, and I will lead them. The people need you. They need you to be the one to carry this good news, to be obedient to what I am telling you. And what do we see? In some senses in Moses, there's this dim foreshadow of the one that God would send, the perfect one, the one who would go willingly to God's people, who would come willingly and obediently to rescue God's people, the perfect son, coming to do the ultimate work, to bring the ultimate freedom, to bring His people out of chains and out of slavery and into freedom and into a place of worship and response. The one who would humble Himself, who would take the form of a servant, who wouldn't throw up every excuse, who wouldn't stand in fear and say, send someone else, but the Son would come. And the Lord would send His Son to proclaim good news and liberty to the captives held in sin, to free His people, and He would be obedient even on to death. You see, God provides a rescuer. He provides a rescuer through Moses here as He'll come to Egypt and as He will eventually go, as we'll see in the weeks ahead. And then that foreshadow of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate rescuer who would come for His people. God present then and now. God providing a rescuer then and now. And finally, God being sufficient for His people. We know now that God is present. We know that He has sent a rescuer. But what do we also need to know? We need to know that He is sufficient. And that is what is encapsulated in this statement from verse 14, I am who I am. A self-defining statement. God tells who He is and what He is like. He's not left it to our imaginations. We're not to guess about who our God is. Instead, we should see Him for who He is, who He has told us that He is. He's not the God of the Egyptians. He's not made out of wood or stone. He's not some mythical creature or God but He is the great I am. I am who I am. I am here, here to rescue, here to set you and the people free. I'm here to save my people, and I'm here because I love you. You can imagine the Egyptians, what would they have said to Moses? Oh, well, Moses, what's your God like? 
oh, well, my God is the, the great I am. He, here's who he is. And they would have said, well, I, I see that in your God, but here's what our God is like. And it would have been a, a, like a game of, of almost like top trumps. Oh, well, your God can do this. Well, look at what our God can do. Oh, well, your God can do that. Well, look at what ours can do. And as we will soon see with the, the signs and wonders that the sorcerers of Egypt could, could keep up to a certain part, to a certain point, but then they would peel into insignificance in light of the great I am. You see, he is not like any other. He is different and indescribable, and the hymn writer puts it uncontainable. This statement, I am who I am, it's not a label, but it's a declaration. Let's quickly see three things that it teaches us about God. It teaches us about what theologians have called his aseity. His aseity, that just means that he exists in and of himself. He is life in and of himself. And so the great I am reveals this, the one who was and who is and who will be. He does not need anything else, doesn't need anyone else to exist. He didn't need any fuel in the, in the burning bush to, to keep him going. He simply is. God is all that we need. I am who I am. Life in and of himself. He doesn't change. That's the second thing. He is who He is. He will not change. I am who I am. It's not I am who I might be in the future. I am now, and I'm going to be someone else. He is unchangeable. He does not change. He has no potential for change. He is who He is. And that means that He has within Him all that we need, and that we can trust Him. We will not have a version of God today and a different version tomorrow and a different version in the next hundred years. God is who He is. I am who I am. He will not change. And the third thing that we see in this statement is that He is eternal. He has always been and He will always be. I am who I am. I did not have a start and I will not have a finish. I exist outside of time. And that means that we are safe for all eternity for those who trust in Him. Now, there's much more that this, this statement, this declaration of who God is could teach us, but there's three things. He is life, exists in and of Himself. He does not change, and He is eternal. Now, remember again, 400 years have passed, and as Calvin says, the faith of the, uh, of the Israelites was, was rusty and it was faint, they had forgotten the God of their fathers. And then with this, the Lord comes. And what does He do? He gives His name. Verse 15. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me. And this is the name forever. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. You'll see in your, your footnote, what is this name? It's, it's what we say is Yahweh, the name of God, the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God, the sovereign Lord. This is my name. And for various reasons, uh, we don't know quite how to say it because it was lost uh, throughout history. 
but it's pronounced now. Some people have said it's, it's Yahweh. And so God gives us a name, a name for who He is and, and what He is like. The God who sees and who hears and remembers and who lives and who loves and who has a plan for His people. The great I am. Yahweh. And verse 20, what is He going to do? He has not just been present with His people. He has not just revealed Himself to the people. He has not just raised up a rescuer or raising up a rescuer, but verse 20, He will stretch out His hand, and He will strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform, and He will let you go. Our God is able, able to rescue, and He will rescue His people. That's why He comes, and in other words, He's saying, I am sufficient for you, Moses. I'm sufficient for my people in all that they will face. As you go to the Pharaoh, as you go to this king, and you stand before him, and as he mocks and as he scoffs at you, what do you say? You say, Yahweh has sent me. The great I am has sent me. And whenever all the pressure and hostility mounts against God's people, what do we still need to know? that He is present with us, that He's provided a rescuer, and that He is sufficient for us in every trial. You see, God would send another man. And people would say to that man, who are you? Who has sent you? What authority do you come with? And so in John chapter 8, the Jews would come in verse 53, and they would say, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And what would Jesus respond in verse 58? Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abram was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw it at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You see, Jesus would come and he would fulfill, he would flesh out this statement, this revelation of the great I am. And what would he say through John's gospel? Seven different things. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. I am all that you need. I am sufficient for everything that you will face, sufficient in life and sufficient in death. All who feast on me will never hunger again. All who call upon my name, you will experience eternal life. All who trust in me will one day rise again. So, who is the great I am of Exodus 3? It's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? The great I am has a name, a name that we know, and it is Jesus. So, we go from here, and someone says to us this week, in work, in class, down the shops, you go to, you go to Hill Street Church, what, what is your God like? Who is he really? You say, have you got a minute? And you have a Bible on your phone. And you say, do you want to come to Exodus chapter 3? 
and they'll think, why did I ever ask this question? And you'll be able to show them. Show them what, what God was like here in Exodus chapter 3, what He revealed Himself to be and who to be, and how that was, there was continuity from this point in Exodus all the way through the Scriptures and into His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be able to point them to the great I Am, the one who is present with His people through everything that we face, the one who raises up a rescuer for His people to free us from the bondage of sin and slavery, and the one who is sufficient for all of our needs. This is the great I Am, and He is the one that we shall worship. Let us bow in prayer.